Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets with Remy, Tino, and Mike, the podcast where we decrypt and demystify economic, financial, and other investing concepts. With prices soaring and supply diminishing, today we're talking about the housing market and whether or not we're headed towards another real estate crash. We'll also find out the sixth item on Tino's top 10 list of mistakes he's made on his way to becoming a professional investor. If you have any questions, comments, or would like us to discuss something on the show, please email us at comments at onmarkets.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating. Tino, why don't you get us started? Yeah, it was, uh, this, this is a subject that's been coming up quite regularly with clients. And uh, you know, you, it's hard to look around the country and see a market that's not literally on fire right now. Uh, you know, if you look at um, home prices in February, they, they were up 12%, 11% in January. Uh, they're up 33%, almost 33% from the pre-COVID highs. Uh, markets like Phoenix are up eight, 17, 18%. I mean, it's, it's almost everywhere in the country except for New York City and a few other urban areas. And, you know, when, when you see a market like this take off as fast as it has, your natural instinct has been to say, oh no, another 2005, seven type housing bubbles forming and it's going to burst. And, and, uh, you know, what we wanted to do this week was kind of talk through the market, uh, on the demand side and supply side and get a sense of what's going on there. And then compare that to what's going, what happened in 2005. And, and I think that's important because if you're, if you're hearing a lot of the punditry right now and, what we're, and a lot of the stuff online, and a lot of the, you know, CNBC and whatnot, financial media, uh, there is a lot of, uh, uh, uh comparisons going on between now and then. And uh, I, in my opinion, it, it couldn't be more different today than it was back in 2005. What was it that created the, I mean, I, we know what's creating this sort of uh, increase in values, but what, what created it in 05? Any idea? Yeah, you know, it was a lot of different things together. Uh, it was a combination of uh, banks loosening standards. You know, think about how a bank works, right? They Banks are like any other business. They compete for money and they compete for deposits. They compete for loans and whatever it may be. And when the competition is high, it actually kind of fuels the fire. So there was this, this intense competition uh, for banks to go out and loan to people. And you know, people started to see the housing prices rise and these standards were coming down. A lot of people that could never get a mortgage before were starting to be able to get mortgages. And they weren't just getting maybe one or two, they were getting a handful of them. They started flipping homes. And like any other, like any other bubble, you know, the early, the ones early in the game did quite well, but uh, it just, what happened was it was a kind of a debt fueled speculation run where uh, it, it, it kept going and going. And then on the back end, you had these banks that were creating, they were taking these mortgages and putting them to complex securities and selling them to uh, fancy investment funds that were also competing uh, to get the best returns. So this is entire mechanism that was basically incentivizing people to go out and buy homes. And they were treating those homes as like, you know, we talk about other assets all the time, like gold or an NFT or whatever it may be, some type of asset on a balance sheet. And it just got to the point where the prices got so high and the Fed started raising interest rates. And when you did that, because all these, all these, these were all interest rate mortgages or most of them were interest, interest only mortgages, the Fed started raising interest rates to go, guess what happens? People are over levered. And they were effectively margin called. They couldn't afford the payments anymore. So in that during that time, I actually, for a, a brief stint, worked um, selling mortgages. It was it was an incredible time because you would have people who 
would be approved for no doc loans, right? So they had, they didn't have to put any documentation down at all. All they needed was, I don't remember what the credit score was at the time, but it wasn't even that high. I mean, it was like a 730 or 750 or something like that. You know, and they could come in 750, no problem. You have a job, you have a 750 score, you're approved for X and that's it. Nothing else required. With those no doc loans, you also had uh, loans that didn't require down payments at all. Uh, you have people coming coming to the table uh, with a mortgaging 100% of the value of the house. So I was in Denver at, at, at that time. And I remember we were selling mortgages to people who had a primary home in Denver and then they were buying secondary vacation homes, like literally, you know, 20 miles down the road in the mountains that they couldn't afford. They were getting adjustable rate mortgages at the time, right? So mm-hmm. so the interest rate for the first three years was, you know, 1% and, and then it it was a variable rate after that. So, you know, as soon as those jumped, you had somebody who couldn't afford, you know, whatever the, the new interest rate was, which often was five, six, seven, eight percent at that point or, or higher. They hadn't put any money down up front to get the house. And they clearly weren't qualified to get the house to begin with because, you know, if, if they if they were, they probably would have went for a more traditional loan. So you have somebody who's not qualified, who can't afford the payment and put no money down. I mean, why struggle? At that point, you might as well just hand the keys over and move on with your life. And that's what happened. They well, that's clearly not the, not the situation this time around, right? I mean, Tino, you're, you're buying a house now. We were just talking about what you have to go through to get a mortgage. I just did it. I mean, it's, it's not that easy right now. I'd rather get a mortgage. So it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's brutal. The stuff that they're asking for is insane. So I, I sort of, you guys know that I've been fairly active. You know, I'm not a real estate investor, but I've bought and sold. A, a number of houses in the last five years, probably six or seven of them, you know, some intentional and some just weird circumstances. But um, it's the big surprise to me is, you know, I, I'm in Tampa and I sort of have been seeing this happening here for, you know, three or four years now. And so it's not that big a surprise here, but the big surprise, I also have a home in Connecticut and it's happening up there. And that's shocking to me. I mean, I understand what's happening here, right? There's no income tax. You know, people like the climate, um, you know, there's been people moving from the Northeast down here for a while now and it's just accelerated. But Connecticut, you know, Massachusetts, I, I, don't, I don't even get it. I don't understand what's happening. To be honest, I actually, I, I feel like I do get Connecticut because it's close to the city, right? And I feel like you have a lot of people who they may be working from home, but I don't think they're necessarily thinking I am, this is a permanent situation, but I also don't think that they think that I'm going to go back to work five days a week, you know, and work a nine to five. It, it seems like the, the general attitude is, yeah, I'm going to go back to work and I'm going to go back to the office, but it's not going to be full time. It's going to be three days a week, or it's going to be, you know, a couple of days a week. And I'm going to work from home a couple of days a week. That seems to be sort of the mindset of, of most of the people I talk yeah. to these days. So I feel like, in Connecticut, you're close enough to the city that people can work in the city. They can go into the office for two or three days, but they can work from home for a few days and they get so much more and, you know, for their money, um, they get a nice yard, they get a nice neighborhood, yeah. um, good, good public schools. What's happened here, um, and you guys know this story, you know, I bought a house last April and uh, another house that I really liked became available uh, at the end of the year. And I think under normal circumstances, I would have went, well, you know, Tough luck, right? I just bought this house. I just moved in, but I didn't do that. Uh, you know what I did was I uh, <laughs> I put a deposit down on the new house, and I listed the old house. I didn't even use a, a realtor. I just I just threw a thing on Zillow, and because I knew the market was so hot, I sold the thing in three days, 
and I sold it for 20% more than I paid for it eight months later. And the shocking thing is that I just got a, I became friends with the guy that I bought it from. And I just got a call from him a couple of weeks ago. And he said, did you see what happened with the house? And I said, what house? He said, the house you bought for me that you just sold. I said, I have no idea. He said, the guy just sold it again, four months later for 20% more than he bought it from you. So this house has been sold twice in a year and each time it's gone up by 20%. It's unreal. That's amazing. No, it's it's ridiculous. In both times, no realtor, you know, Zillow ad sells in a day, full asking, full cash. Unreal. So I must be like in in the only city in the country that uh, the market isn't blowing up because I actually just coincidentally also have my house listed right now. I've had I just listed it about a week, week and a half ago, and I've had quite a few people come in, but it's like it's a buyer's market here. I have, uh, you know, cameras in the house you know, because, you know, I have a baby. So if he's in different rooms, I can see what's going on. But of course, I also <laughs> so watch the people. people are saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I watch the people as they're as they're going through the house, you know, uh, mostly just because I want to hear what their comments are. So I can, you know, I, if 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 people are always commenting on one specific thing, I can go fix it or change it or, or whatever. And and the comments, they're crazy. People are like, oh, yeah, you know what? This house is great. But Oh, this, this light switch cover isn't exactly the right color that I like. Somebody literally said that. Wow. Right. So, so yeah. you're, you're over there selling the same house twice in a year for, for 40% and I can't get my house sold because the light switch cover isn't the right color. It, I can tell you that's not happening in Florida. I mean, right now, if, uh, well, we have an employee that's actually, that's trying to buy a house near where I live. And, uh, you know, and I talk to him every week, you know, how, how, how you making out and, you know, he's not from this area. And so, you know, he's gone the traditional route. Let's look on realtor.com. And I said, dude, you can't do that. You're never going to buy anything that way. And he said, what are you talking about? You know, what has been happening here is if something actually does hit MLS, 50 people have seen it already. I mean, people are so wired into the realtors. Everything is a pocket listing until, you know, until it's not. And the only reason it's not is because, you know, somebody buys it or, the, or it's just such a crappy deal that they end up listing it. So, you know, once something, if you see something on realtor.com in this area, it's, it's a terrible deal or, or, you know, there's been a triple murder in the house or something. There's something, there's something <laughs> drastically wrong. That's crazy. I mean, that's, that's kind of what's going on in most of the, you know, it's interesting though. I, 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 one of the things I didn't write about this week, I want to get your, your opinions on, because I don't have a good answer to this, but I, I have a theory that one of the reasons why you see prices rise higher in a rising environment is because if you own a house and you see the value of your home rising, you get excited, but you really can't do anything about it, right? You're, if you sell, then you got to pay taxes on any assumed gains, right? And then you got to buy into the same market unless you're, you're going to leave the area. So I feel like in a, in a market where prices are rising, it, it kind of feeds on itself to a certain degree where it actually creates an even bigger supply problem. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But, but I see, I'm, I'm starting to hear people about, you know, you're always, you know, you're always talking about trying to time the market, right? And I'm starting to hear people talking about maybe I'll sell and rent for a while, wait for prices to come down, which. That's what we were planning to do, to be honest. I mean, a little bit different situation because we're leaving the area, but, but we figured we'll sell right now and we'll rent. We don't have anything particular we want to buy and there's no reason to buy. So might as well rent for a few years and see what happens. No, I was going to say renting has become a viable option for a lot of people right now. And it's, in this, it's a necessary option. The prices, I mean, the, people have been priced out of a lot of areas, at least around here. 
we, uh, we actually try, we're trying to rent. We're still trying to rent. I've been trying to rent for four or five months in this area and, and it is, um, where they are, they're buying. And cause I, I just, I, I can't handle these prices and there's four homes, literally four homes in the greater area that, uh, that are available and they're not livable. I mean, it's this literally four. I looked, right? we were yeah. talking about this last week and I was like, man, I'm like, there's no way he's, he's exaggerating. Yeah. And I, and I looked literally four homes. Yeah. Yeah. And with, you know, two in a major metropolitan city, I mean, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like you're living in, um, a Cheyenne you know, or something, yeah. Idaho. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's wild. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a stressful situation. And you, you, you think that this is, this is no big deal. You've moved I've, I moved once a year now for, I don't know how long anymore. And, and it's never been a big deal. And now you get in the situation like, wait a minute, I, how is this possible? I mean, I'm in California right now. I've been in New York city. Like you find a place quick. And now it's like, it's, there's, there's literally no inventory on the, on the rent side or, or for that matter, buying. I don't know what people are doing right now. Where were all these people before? I, I don't know. It doesn't, there's something about this that doesn't really make sense to In me. New York and San yeah, Francisco, you know, maybe. It's interesting. I was talking to the company that's going to move my stuff out and, cause I got a quote back and I almost had an aneurysm over it. And I, I called the guy, I'm like, what the heck is going on? And he's like, well, look. You got to understand the business for us right now. The guy's like, I've been in the air for 30 years in San Jose. He's like, I've never seen business like this in my entire career. Um, it's, it's so good right now, but he's like, we're really nervous because it's all one way. And he was saying the problem is, is that when you see, he's like, if you see a moving truck coming into California, he's like, that thing is empty or it's maybe 10% full. So it's not, not just us, and this is United Van Lines. He said that most of the moving companies right now are driving empty trucks into places like California, and for that matter, New York City and Chicago, and they're full coming out. So it's triple the cost to leave these areas versus coming into them. It is crazy what's happened, you know, all the, the, the weird unintended consequences of, of what's happened with the you know, economy shutting down and things like that. It's like the rental car business, right? Um, I have somebody coming down to visit. <laughs> And they said, uh, you know, they would normally get a rental car, but a rental car here now is like $400 a day. You know, all the rental car companies sold off their cars because they were just sitting in lots doing nothing. So, so they're all short of cars now and they just jack up the prices. And literally, I mean, a rental car here was used to come down here a bunch of, you know, what was a rental car? 39 bucks a day, 29 bucks yeah, a day? Yeah, on the high end. 400 bucks a day right Oof. now. It's crazy. walk. So Tino, this is actually a great segue uh, into talking about the sixth item on your list of top 10 biggest mistakes you've made as a professional investor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, somebody told me this once a very long time ago when I was in training, uh, in, when I was on my early days on Wall Street. And I remember getting, I got yelled at for some reason. It was like a whole hazing thing when you get into this business. And in front of a, the entire trading floor, this guy f- swings my chair around and he says, he, basically it's like, be careful or we didn't say it that way. I'm just going to drop the F-bombs out of it. But basically, be careful when demand creates supply. That was the idea. And I think it was because I wasn't analyzing something properly. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, what the hell does he mean? And of course, they don't tell you anything. So you have to figure it out on your own. And I started thinking about it. And it really was, it was, it was really good advice because you see a situation where you have um, a market like condos, for example. Something like I always, when I, I used to live in Atlanta and in Atlanta, there's basically, and there are no barriers, right? You can build condos and condos or houses or whatever, and you know, as far out the city as you want. But, you know, when you start seeing prices of condos rise, they just, they can, they can build up, they can, they can flood the market with supply. And it's, it was, it was a reminder that if you're, if you start seeing demand rise, prices rise, at some point, the supply is going to meet that demand. 
It just is. It's the same thing with the housing market right now. Now, I think that there are some deep entrenched supply issues for the housing market for a couple of years, but there are also some transitory ones. You know, the supply chain issues, things of that nature, lumber prices, that's going to get rectified. So you got to be really, really careful about jumping into a market uh, when you're seeing these soaring prices and, and demand where it is, because supply is going to catch up. So it doesn't mean get out of the market when you see prices rise. Like right now, I actually think housing prices are going to rise for quite some time in most markets. But you got to be cognizant of the fact that this is not going to last. Cycles are here for a reason. Cycles exist because of human behavior and because of supply and, dem- supply and demand imbalances. That's why we have too much toilet paper right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a good way of, uh, there's a market for everything. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, I was just reading like there's, there's just boatloads of toilet paper in, uh, in warehouses. They don't know what to do with it. There's oversupplied with toilet paper because of the the shortage before they overproduced it. And now there's too much toilet paper. Yeah. Like in 10 years. And I would imagine, you know, I don't know if it's going to get real cheap and I'm not all that excited about it, but there's a lot of toilet paper around. (laughs) That's going to be one of those, like, I don't even know if VH1 is still around anymore. I don't watch TV. But if, if it is in like 10 years when they do a review of this, of this decade, that's I love be, I love the, yeah, the 20, <laughs> whatever, that's going to be number one or number two on the list. It has to be. Let's end it there. This podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management, LLC and Darwin Advisors, LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and there can be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.